Welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, a show dedicated to podcast advertising. If you're a podcaster or an advertiser and you're wondering how you can take advantage of this rapidly growing space, you're in the right place. On the program, we'll discuss strategies and techniques to optimize your experience with podcast advertising. Hello and welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood, and today I am joined by Steve Ulsher, founder of Podcast Magazine. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks for having me. So Steve, how did you get connected to the podcast industry? What made you wake up one morning and say, hey, I'm gonna start a magazine about podcasts? Ooh, well, those are two different questions. So the industry and the magazine are, are two completely different conversations, but I'll go all the way back to talk about the industry for a second. I, I came from the world of coaching, author, speaker, right? Trying to, to really just help people with my unique message around helping people discover their what, mm -hmm. which is what I call that one amazing thing they were born to do, right? It's a part of your DNA. So I was doing a lot of teaching and workshops and speaking around uh, the importance of discovering your what and how people who have done so are really changing the world as a result. So I started looking at radio and, and radio for me has always been the holy grail. I thought at one point in my life that I would want to have a radio show and I would want to just have a morning show and have people call in, talk, have about subjects and callers and the whole nine as you would do typically with a radio show. That might be something I wanted to do. Didn't pan out, whatever, career-wise, went in different directions. And as I started looking at it from a branding and a how do I share my mission and message standpoint, I started looking at broker time on radio. And I ended up buying some broker time on a small AM station in Chicago. And it occurred to me, if you're not in front of a radio, whether in your car or at home, and you're not in this particular region of, of reach, if you will, and it was a small AM station, so the broadcast signal was pretty minimal, and you're not tuned into that channel at that specific moment in time, and it's just like, like you keep cutting down layers of the onion, you get basically have nothing left there, and you get six listeners, if you're lucky. <laughs> and I'm cutting a pretty big check every month to these guys, and I'm, and, you know, I'm just going, this just doesn't make a lot of sense. And it was around that time in 2009 that I became introduced to the world of podcasts. And I said, well, this is pretty interesting, right? It's like a global radio station, so to speak. I can record this message, and then I can put it out to the world, and People, no matter where they are, can access that, that file, that audio conversation on their preferred device pretty much at, at any time at their leisure. And so that was uh, really when I turned the corner into the, into the world of podcasting, 2009, and just saying, this is a much better alternative for me than traditional broadcast radio. And so that was my sort of foray into uh, the world of, of podcasts as it came on to, onto my radar at that point. And then Podcast Magazine, it's a whole other conversation, but I don't want to just talk and talk at you. So let me stop there for a second. Well, I did not realize you had been podcasting for so long. 2009 was a couple years back. So you really have been in the industry for a long time. And yeah. I know before we, we hit record that we were chatting about your magazine and how wonderful it is. And, you know, I know that I have been at several industry events where I've had a chance to actually get a hard copy of the publication, which I feel like, I don't know if you realize this, but I used to work in newspaper, definitely have sold my fair share of magazine. 
um, ads as well, because Ooh. every newspaper has a magazine, right? And I love the actual printed piece. I'm also probably older and that's probably why I like magazines, but I like the physicalness of a publication, but you also have an online presence. And I guess, what was the catalyst? What made you decide to go ahead and start this publication? Yeah. And by the way, we're hiring for an ad sales position, so we should definitely chat. <laughs> but that's a conversation for another day. So, you know, I was sitting uh, in a conference a few years ago, not a few years ago, it was basically almost two years really to the day because it was October uh, of 2019. I was at a conference. I like attending conferences, live events. I've, we host our own live events and this was somebody else's live event. And I'm sitting there uh, in the audience of this live event and this particular person was thinking about launching a magazine. And I thought it was a really good idea for his particular industry. It made a lot of sense in terms of what he was looking to do. And it just kind of hit me like, why isn't there the rolling stone, if you will, of the world of podcasts or what Sports Illustrated did for sports or what Thrasher Magazine did for skateboarding? Like, why isn't there uh, a podcast magazine? And it was just one of those moments where I, I felt like I've been podcasting since 2009 and my shows have done okay. I'm not going to sit here and say that we've got millions of downloads every single month and we're just, you know, absolutely killing it. That's not the case at all. We've done okay. And as I started teaching more and more about the world of podcasts starting around 2017, the numbers at the time when I, when I really started imploring people to, to consider getting involved in the world of podcasts were around 400,000 shows. And then that number continued to grow and continued to grow and continued to grow. And, and, and by the time we turned around, now we're up over 2 million, depending on the stats and the data that, you, that you're able to access. But regardless, at the time when I, I sat there and I had the idea uh, around doing the magazine, there was getting to be about a million shows or so. And it was just a very simple question, which is, do I want to be one of 1 million shows and struggle as I had been struggling to try to gain attention and get enough people listening to really move the needle or do I want to create really that category of one and have the only magazine that serves this industry in the way that I thought we could serve the industry? And then ultimately, the one million podcasts would all want to be a part of what we're doing with the magazine. The industry companies would want to be a part of what we're doing with the magazine. The executives and, and all the companies and organizations would want to be a part of what we're doing with the magazine if we do it the right way. And so for me, it was really just a, a matter of how do I really create that category of one. And the magazine seemed to make really good sense in terms of doing that because I love the industry of podcasting. I just have the same trouble as, uh, as many people do with discovery. And when you're not bankrolled by huge deep pockets, you could have the best show in the world, but it doesn't mean anybody's going to find it. So, mm -hmm. so that was really the impetus. Uh, and it, it just... it surprised me, I'll be honest with you, that there wasn't uh, a podcast magazine at the time. And almost two years later, I'm still not 100% sure if it was the right idea or not, but time will tell. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, one of the things that your magazine has the capacity to do that, as you mentioned, so many other publications have done for other industries is create a sense of community. And in this very online world that we live in, we are you know, as people will say, more connected and yet less connected than we have ever been. And one of the things that I find very 
odd and challenging in the space of podcasting is that if you took a hundred people and, you know, I want to say that Alex Bloomberg mentioned this in the first podcast movement that I went to, I think that this was what he had said, but if you take a room of a hundred podcasters and you say, how many of you would say that your main profession is podcasting? That is what you are is a podcaster. Very few people would raise their hand to that because we have biologists and doctors and dentists and comedians and fiction writers and business experts and the list goes on and on, right? Of people who have a profession and podcasting is their hobby, right? It's something that they yes. maybe do on the side. And because of that, I think that sometimes we can struggle to connect as a community. You've got, of course, the business of podcasting, which is all of the corporations and the people who work within those corporations that would definitely say that they identify as being part of the podcast community. But it it's not that uncommon, I don't find, when I'll be talking to somebody and they'll say, oh yeah, I have a podcast. And the only reason they ever told me they had a podcast is just because I mentioned something about being in the podcast industry. and. Because of that, I think sometimes that in and of itself can lead to it being more of a fragmented space. How do you view your magazine as potentially being a catalyst to create community? Yeah, I mean, it is really interesting when you talk about community and places to gather and is this a hobby? Is this a, is it a career? Is this full-time? Is this part-time? Like there's just, there's so many different sort of buckets, if you will, that people in the industry seem to find themselves in. And so it is one of those things where on one hand, it's like the industry has been around for so long, you would think that we would be farther, further, farther down the path, right? In terms of just being able to give people the opportunity to really gather in a way that is, is meaningful. And again, even from a consumer st uh, standpoint, Right. If you just look at where do podcast fans gather, it's show by show, right? There's not a lot of opportunity. At least you don't see a lot of opportunity for people to get together more on a holistic basis. It's one of the reasons why we're actually uh, going to be doing our, we've been doing live events for years, but we're going to be doing a, a live event that we're calling Pod Expo. And so Pod Expo is kind of like the Comic-Con, if you will, but for the world of podcasting. And so we're doing that for many of those reasons that we're talking about, which is not only to create a community environment and a gathering opportunity for fans, but also for people who have shows to be able to gather. I know this happens at Podcast Movement and, and PodFest, and there's some great uh, opportunities, she podcasts and so on for people who are in the industry. But there's not really any sort of, of central gathering place for the two to get together consumer and creator and even mm -hmm. the industry people as well. So it is a, a question that we're really looking to to answer here. And between what we're doing with the magazine, what we're doing with the live event, uh, we're going to be moving people into our Discord community, and even through Club Pod on Clubhouse, we're starting to, to try to do our part anyway in terms of being able to answer that fundamental question of where is the community of podcasters and, and podcast fans gathering, and how do you facilitate any sort of community between them? 
Mm -hmm. So you bring up um, a, a great point, which is social audio. And, you know, I know that when Clubhouse first hit the scenes, everybody was like, oh, this is going to replace podcasting. I personally don't love it because I listen to podcasts when I have time, which is in between a million other things in my life. And with that type of audio, you have to be there when everyone else is there. But that does, I mean, podcasts are wonderful for many reasons, but they don't necessarily facilitate community. Whereas obviously a platform like like Clubhouse is going to do that. Where do you think social audio fits into the podcast ecosphere? It's interesting. And, and I will say, mm, yeah, I think the jury is still really out, right? Hmm. From the standpoint of social audio is still brand new, right? In the scheme of things, it's it, we're very much in the embryonic stage of, of seeing what can and, and possibly will happen in the world of social audio. I think that there is a place for social audio, and I was on this morning, and there's, you know, still thousands of people from across the globe in, in various social audio rooms. What's yeah. happened in some of the bigger players, like with Clubhouse, is that as more people came onto the platform and as more clubs were formed, then what you saw is that the attendance naturally is going to go down in terms of when you look at a particular room, like where are these huge rooms? Well, there's no longer just a few huge rooms. Those attendees are scattered amongst numerous clubs and numerous conversations. And so some people look at it and they go, oh, social audio is dead. That was a good little fad and this, that, and the other. I don't think so. I think there's still an opportunity there for to sit side by side nicely with podcasting, right? And, I, and this was a conversation that we had quite frequently inside of Club Pod, which is our club there on Clubhouse. And so... The, the question was, will social audio kill podcasting? And it was a legitimate question at the time. And I think there was a lot of fear uh, amongst podcasters of, yeah, this is potentially going to, to just absolutely kill our traditional podcast. But, but what we found is that the two actually do complement each other quite nicely. As a matter of fact, since December uh, of 2020, we have been recording all of our episodes of Reinvention Radio live on Clubhouse and then taking those files and then putting those out to our traditional evergreen podcast channels, mm -hmm. Apple, Spotify, etc. And so for me, it's really the best of both worlds. I mean, we talked earlier about how I always thought radio would be the holy grail, right? I mean, this to me actually provides a very radio-esque opportunity to have more interaction with the people that want to be in communication with me. So I happen to think that the live component of social audio, even if you don't record it and release it as a podcast, it's fine. It just complements what you're doing in, in Evergreen quite nicely because no matter how you slice it, a podcast is really still just a one-way channel. We like to sit here and think it's a two-way channel because we decide when we want to listen to it and we decide on what platform we're going to listen to it and we decide what episode we're going to listen to. But the reality is that's still a monologue. That is still you sitting there passively listening as opposed to being actively involved in that conversation. And so I think there's a time and a place for both and I would just also say that if you're one of those folks who started down the path of social audio and then threw in the towel on it, I would actually ask you to reconsider that decision 
because I think that I don't have a crystal ball here, but just based on past trends and based on what I've seen, there's always going to be ebbs and flows with new technology. And right now we're just in a little bit of that, that ebb or that flow. I never can remember which it is, but we're mm-hmm. in that in-between stage before I think we're going to have another resurgence here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally see that. I agree with you wholeheartedly is I don't think that you can say that podcasting is a two-way conversation because it's not right. I mean, you might love a host to death, but if you want to actually reach out to that person, you're going to have to go to social. You're going to have to go to email. You're going to have to go to some event where they might be. You are not going to just be able to have that conversation. And I know that, of course, there are call-in podcasts that happen, but the value of social audio is that interaction, right? Is that ability to create this content and have the other person respond. How do you think, I guess for me, lives also provide that element. Of course, there's the video element of a live where Clubhouse is solely audio. Where do you think live fits into that equation? I have seen very few people do live well. Not to say that it it can't be done well, but if you're talking about like Facebook Live or Instagram, I I have yet to see someone, there are people who do well with it, but when you just look at the, the flow of interaction as a creator, and again, I'm hoping that at some point, one of the platforms comes up with a better way of interacting with your fan base when you do something on a live basis. But as a creator, if you've never put together a a live and sat there and trying to watch the comments and trying to actually have uh, a meaningful dialogue, yes, if you bring someone up and you give them the camera, sure, then you can have a one-on-one conversation. But that's risky because you never know what their audio or their video is going to be. You never know what their question is going to be. You never know what's going to happen, which is, you know, the beauty of live. But at the same token, if you're just asking for comments or feedback, just really hard to keep up Mm -hmm. and and do that in any sort of meaningful way. So I think live, look, just like Clubhouse, which is live or green room, whatever your social audio platform of choice is, there is a time and a place where live certainly makes sense. Um, I just haven't seen anybody really do it well outside of a more of a controlled environment. And it's just tough to control those uh, those platforms right now. Not to say it's impossible, but I'm just saying it's not easy. Mm -hmm. I think the hardest part about lives for myself, I, I do a live on a weekly basis. And the big challenge is being able to, it's easy to sit here and have a conversation with you, or it's easy to give a presentation, but it's difficult to maintain a conversation with someone, read the comments, integrate the comments right. in a meaningful way, exactly. and then have it actually be appealing to the audience. And so exactly. I think that to your point, it takes someone that's very practiced and very good to facilitate that. And then of course, there is this whole level of um, filtering and editing that happens. Obviously, if you're in the live, you can see the questions and comments that are coming up. But that doesn't mean that that question or comments actually going to be addressed because the person that is presenting gets to say, I'm going to address that question, I'm not going to address that question. Whereas in Clubhouse, obviously, when you invite somebody up onto the stage with you, if they say something, you're going to need to address it. You can't just say, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not interested in your comment. Pass, next one, right? Like, yeah, you that have makes you to look address really bad. it. 
I'm sorry, say that again. No, I said that just makes you look really bad, obviously, when you do yeah. that. But uh, all of that being said, if you have a team, it can work. It can work well. You know, love them or hate them. I admire what Grant Cardone is doing in a live format. He has figured out uh, a way with his team to syndicate. Mm -hmm. And he recently did an interview with Magic Johnson. And so they were on Clubhouse. They were on all the social channels and YouTube Live and, and so on. And they've really figured out how to get the syndication piece working. Because he has his team involved and it's more of a production in an actual studio, he's able to make that work. So there, mm -hmm. there's very few people, though, that have that type of production capability. But if you have that team and production capability, it, it you know, again, I don't want to dismiss the notion altogether of live working. It can work. It's just very hard to pull off on your own. Mm hmm. So let's talk about advertising because of course this is the podcast advertising playbook. So I know that gosh, right after clubhouse went, went live, I was approached by facilitators of different rooms to, into selling ads on clubhouse. And I know that there are certainly other agencies that we work with out there that are trying to facilitate clubhouse ad selling as well. Have you seen, or do you know of anyone who is doing a good job executing advertising within clubhouse? It seems like it's definitely mm -hmm. being done. Mm -hmm. Yep. I would actually point to ourselves from the standpoint of we have Club Pod, uh, which has almost 70,000 uh, members. And, and, you know, the, the God's honest truth is that we have people coming to us all the time saying, you know, how can we do something in Club Pod? We'd love to, to get in front of your folks. And we do offer that in terms of a Club Pod takeover, either by the room, by the day or by the week. But we try to do it as a component of a larger campaign where that campaign would include the magazine and exposure there. It would include email subscribers, right, in terms of a, a blast to the list. It would include social. So it's not just in a vacuum and, and selling it a la carte. We're really trying to do it as more of an overall opportunity for people to, to gain access to uh, the community that we've cultivated. And so I, I told my wife, I think around... January of, of 2021, I said, I can really see a time here where if I build this community and I build this following, then we can get to the point where we have people who want to sponsor our rooms and would invest $2,500 as an example to sponsor uh, a club pod room and do a couple of those every week. And that's, that's a quarter million dollars uh, in top line revenue for doing a couple of rooms a week. Mm -hmm. So then I'm not saying we're doing this every single week, but we do have rooms that are sponsored pretty consistently now. I, I have not personally overseen any clubhouse campaigns, so I couldn't speak directly to those. But I agree. I think the integration across multi-platforms is really valuable. And I think that should be the case with podcast advertising as well. I mean, of course, you can just run podcast ads and they can be very successful, but that doesn't mean that that's necessarily the only thing you should do. And I really 
see a time and a place where we're moving into just larger integrated advertising campaign campaigns period because we really are focused on that influencer marketing element and if we've got an ad in a podcast we've got an ad on a clubhouse we've got an ad on social media and then that person's newsletter right there are these multi-touch points because ultimately when we're trying to get a response for an advertiser it boils down to how many times has that person been able to see that ad message so that they can decide they want to take advantage of it and i guess that's been one of the concerns i've had a little bit with clubhouse in particular is yes we might have seventy thousand people coming into that room but in that moment when that message is that ad message is being communicated what percentage of the people are actually there and listening how have you and i know there are different apps that have been created to try and monitor that, but how are you able to really deliver metrics to your advertisers about people in the room? And then yeah. what kind of response are these advertisers seeing? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, even to this day, oh, let me say what we're using. So we're using Diarcon as our primary analytics tracking tool, and they give you great data in terms of the, the number of people that come into the room, demographics. Uh, it, it has worked really well for us, maybe for about four months, five months now that we've been using Diarcon, D-I-R-E-C-O-N. I think it's how you spell it. And, and what's amazing to me is there are two key statistics that, that I find fascinating as far as the clubhouse rooms are concerned, that even the smaller rooms where maybe you have 30 or 40 people and you look at the numbers and you go, okay, it's a nice size room, nothing huge, nothing crazy. But what's really interesting is that those rooms that have 30, 40, 20 people, the number of people who actually have come into that room over the course of time between when you opened that room and when you ended that room most of the time substantially higher, like to the tune of three, four, five, even 10x, sometimes more what you think it is because there's people always coming and going from these rooms. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a room of 30 people, again, you might think the biggest room in the, in the world, but that same room could have had 250 or 300 people go through that room from the moment you opened to the moment you ended. And then you couple that with the average time that somebody spends in the room. So somebody was there for five minutes and 23 seconds on average. Okay, well, it's an hour room. Five minutes and 23 seconds sucks. That's terrible. Why, why would I want to invest in that? Here's a good answer. On what other planet can you have someone's attention in 200 people? In an ad form. In an ad, right, for five minutes in 23 seconds. You, you, right. you, television, 30 seconds. Radio, 30 seconds. Yeah. An email blast, if you're lucky, they actually read the thing from start to finish. So five minutes in 23 seconds, that's actually pretty dang good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So are you getting response back from the advertisers that you've had that the campaigns are succeeding? Are people happy with them and coming back to renew? Not renew because we haven't really gone back to any of them to say, hey, let's do this again. We're still mm -hmm. trying to just get our fee wet and, and, and really figure out, because again, we're not in the business of just taking people's money. We wanna make sure that what we're doing provides just really solid ROI for them, no matter how much they invest with us. 
And so the reality is every single one that we've come to at this point, it's a trial thing. And if it works out, then we'll circle back and we'll look at it. But I mean, we've really only started doing this over the last two or three months or so. And as the magazine continues to grow and as we just continue to really get more clear on who we are and who we serve, it also helps us then to, to really understand, okay, this person would make sense for us to go back to, this one probably doesn't. And so we're not even after the, to be honest with you, we're not after the renewals at this point. It's mm -hmm. really for us, it's just about gathering data mm -hmm. um, and seeing what sort of companies are having more success than others in, in, as far as Club Pod is concerned. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what would you say is your target? So if someone is listening to this podcast, is Club Pod designed for companies that are interested in advertising podcasts? Is it for podcasters themselves? Is it for podcast listeners? Is it for all of the above? Yeah, so it's interesting. So what we found specifically with the magazine is that the magazine has about a 60-40 split in terms of people, 60% who don't have shows Oh, really? 40, I would have thought it was and, opposite. Yep, and 40% who do. So what's interesting is that a lot of the 60%, though, are interested in podcasts and, and have an interest in potentially starting their own show at some point. Hmm. So Club Pod, on the other hand, is skewed the other way, where you have the majority, like 70-30, it's a much larger number, are either in the industry already or already have their own podcast. So it is interesting to see how the data splits. But yeah, it's just, it's not the same audience. It's not 100% clear, um, not 100% clear. It's not 100% consistent between the people who subscribe to the magazine and the people who participate in Club Pod. The, the numbers are different. Okay, okay. So tell me, you have been in the industry for a long time. What are your predictions about where podcast is heading? And that could be in terms of how and where people are listening. That could be the types of shows, maybe the footprint of podcasts. What are your predictions about the general um, industry overall and where it's headed? Yeah, generally speaking, I'm concerned. Oh, interesting. I'll be, I'll be honest, and I'll, and I'll tell you that I'm concerned. Um, and I'm concerned because when you look at the people uh, who consume podcasts in their traditional form, that demographic is older. I've got kids. I've got an 18-year-old and a 15-year-old. They're not listening to podcasts. They're just not. They're consuming through other channels. They're consuming through traditional social media channels, they're consuming through Discord, they're consuming through Twitch, they're consuming through YouTube, right? YouTube is a huge channel for those who are under 25. But when you look at traditional podcasts in their current shape, their current form, the the numbers themselves, and, and especially if you look at advertising, I mean, we can just simply use that as a metric with which to weigh the long-term potential for the industry we should not be at a billion dollars in ad revenue for the number of, of years that we have been doing this to be sitting at a billion dollars in revenue is concerning. And so what is that a red flag for? I'm not sure. Is it a more of a red flag that the consumption numbers aren't there? Or is it a red flag that the value um, isn't there? Or is it a red flag that the appeal mm -hmm. isn't there? And so what I know is that there's a huge opportunity for us here. You can look at what's happened in the world of, of broadcast radio. We know audio has its place. So my crystal ball, if you will, as far as the podcast industry is concerned, 
really just it starts and it ends with getting people to consume more podcasts like in the same way that we have what we need to do if i'm allowed to offer this opinion what we need to do is we need to figure out how to become got milk right because at the, when you look at what got milk did for the industry for the dairy farmer industry was incredibly powerful because the industry itself banded together and said, I don't care if you buy, and, and frankly, in the world of milk, only now you're starting to get into more brand sort of stuff. But historically, I went to the grocery store, I just bought a gallon of milk. I didn't really care what the brand is, what the brand was. You're starting to see some of that in the world of podcasting where everything is just NPR. Everything mm -hmm. is just Rogan. And so... My point being, we need to massively increase the number of people who turn to podcasts for their news, for their entertainment, for their information, for their learnings, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So that is something we need to work on as an industry, as opposed to just fighting for, you know, I want this piece of this pie. You're fighting the wrong battle. Because Spotify and Apple and Wondery and Luminary and all of these players are saying, hey, I want to get a piece of this billion-dollar pie. That's the wrong fight. The, the, the fight is how do we get this to a $10 billion industry? The fight is yes. how do we get this to a $50 billion a year industry? That's where I think we have been very, I don't want to ruffle too many feathers here, but I'm just, I think we have all been a little bit self-serving in our efforts as opposed to really looking at the industry and the community uh, as a whole. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's, I'll get off my soapbox, but mm -hmm. that's, I think the bigger battle we need to fight. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that perspective. And I think that it's nice to hear because oftentimes in the podcast space, we're like, we're getting to a billion dollars. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this great? And it's not really that great because as you said, we shouldn't be excited about a billion. We should be excited about a 50 billion. You know yes. I mean? When you look at the amount that is spent in advertising across different mediums, a no. billion is nothing. It's really a small amount what's, of money. What's Facebook? What's Facebook going to do this year? I have just no idea, Facebook but it's billions, right? Billions. You and I could both take a second and look it up here, but we won't. But the point is, whatever it is, I guarantee you, it's it's probably at least fifty billion just Facebook by itself. Absolutely. Maybe, so this is where people email us and go, "Hey, Steve. Hey, Heather. Here's the number. Here's the <laughs> number. Yeah. But no, it's totally true. I know. I've looked at the. Uh, TV used to bring in the most in ad revenue, and it hasn't been that many years that digital exceeded. I want to say it's been like three or four years that digital exceeded TV advertising. But I mean, we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars that they're doing. And so not that I don't think we should be happy at, to get to a billion. I'm, yeah, let's celebrate that. Are you ready? But, Are you ready for this? You sure. <laughs> uh, so in 20 in 2020, Want to guess? In 2020, Facebook's advertising revenue. Want to guess? Oh, I'm guessing it's higher than 50. Let's say 200 billion. 84. 84 billion. Okay. 84. But that's an insane number, right? That's well, an insane number. Right? That's one platform. Yeah. So the, the point being, as we have this conversation, is I think the industry has a huge opportunity. And I think the industry has some serious headwind that it needs yeah. to figure out how to combat. 
Yeah. And the only way to really do that, I think, is to band together in some some sort of meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that gets that gets us right back to the beginning of the conversation, which is how are we creating community? And I think that a lot of times we have too much fragmentation. I love the podcast industry and I'm so happy to be part of it. And I like that we are close knit, you know, industry where when we show up to conferences, it's real easy to know most people there, which is awesome, but we still have a long ways to go. And part of it is also, I think, really working to bring in these corporations that are investing in this space and using the leverage and the power that they have, because they can really tip the scales in a very meaningful way that we could not. So if we, you know, can continue to get them to invest in the space and to position it perhaps in different ways and to really create that community, I think that's where the growth could happen. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And when you look at just even, so yes, a hundred percent, I agree with you. And if you look at what's going on in in our world specifically let's just play it out in terms of podcast movement right so podcast movement has been this premier event for a long time for people in the industry at the most i think they had oh, just over 2000 people at one of their events maybe 2400 i don't know whatever the actual numbers are that's a conversation for another day but in this last event that they just did there, there, I don't know what the released numbers were, but having been there and having done events for a number of years, if there were more than 1,500 people there, I would say that's probably about what the number was. And you then you compare that to, uh, again, picking on Facebook here for a minute, like a Facebook developers conference and the number of people that show up to a Facebook developers conference. Or you look at an Apple developers conference and the tens of that, like the, just these huge numbers. And so what does that mean? It just simply means that there's so much work for us to do and so much upside here mm-hmm. for this industry to, to really aspire to model what you have seen in, in some of these other use cases here. And community is going to be a big part of that. And I will tell you that as I sit here and I look at it, I don't think that the way that we're doing it right now is providing the right solutions because the proof is in the numbers. You can just see the number of people that showed up at the last podcast movement. And it's it's not impressive when you come right down to it, when you get when you compare our, what we're doing here to other industries. Mm hmm. Yeah, that is a really interesting perspective and putting things side by side. I I do agree with you that there still is a lot of growth and work to be done. Of course, that is the upside too, is that you and I are in the trenches doing the hard work to get the industry where it needs to be. Yeah, thanks so much, Steve, for being here with me today. If people um, are interested in connecting with you, where is a good place for them to find you? A couple places, right? So Podcast Magazine, obviously, you can join us for that ride podcastmagazine.com slash free join us for the podcast magazine ride best place to go and then my email is real easy it's just steve at podcastmagazine.com excellent thanks so much for being here and i hope that you have enjoyed this conversation i know that i have if you're interested in learning more about podcast advertising or how you can help take us from 1 billion to a 50 billion dollar industry feel free to reach out to us at truenativemedia.com thanks so much and we'll talk to you again in the next episode if you want to learn more about how to be a market leader in podcast advertising reach out to us at truenativemedia.com.